0: Welcome and how you doing on this 6th episode of the Driving You Crazy Podcast. Uh, Driving You Crazy, not Driving You Crazy, Driving You Crazy Podcast. I'm Denver 7 traffic anchor Jason Luber. Joseph, we're up to half a dozen now.
1: Yeah, we think we've done good, Jason. I'm Overnight Producer Joseph Peters. Obviously, this show does not work without your feedback. You can email the show at drivingyoucrazypodcast at gmail.com. You can also reach both of us on Twitter. I'm Joseph Denver 7. He's Denver 7 traffic.
0: All right, here's an interesting story I saw this week. There was a guy in Vietnam who was driving a bus, and on that bus, he had four passengers and several boxes. All right, that doesn't sound too unusual, right? The issue here was in those boxes, 120 live hissing cobras. Oof. Apparently that's against the law in Vietnam. Uh, Probably here as well. They say the bus driver violated the law that bans transportation of products dangerous to people. And last time I heard, cobras are very dangerous to people, right? So police somehow found out. They stopped the bus. The bus driver told uh, the police that he was hired to transport the deadly snakes across town. The cobras were in 15 plastic boxes. So I don't know how many were in each box, but 15 boxes full of cobras. And they say it weighed a total of 500 pounds. That's a lot of cobras. Now, in the original story that I saw, it says that cobras are eaten as a delicacy in Vietnam and also used in traditional medicines. I didn't know that. I did know that in other parts of the world, cobras are made to dance out of baskets and are kept as pets, but I also didn't know they were a delicacy.
1: I mean, you must be pretty desperate for money if you sign up to be a snake smuggler, right?
0: I suppose so. That's I guess he is a snake smuggler.
1: Not a, not a job I would sign up for. Is that Uber snake?
0: Is that, is that a different kind of Uber?
1: Can you call and have the snake delivered to your door? I still would not participate in that. <laughs> uh, well, on a
0: whole different subject, you know it can be difficult to convince most older people that they shouldn't drive
1: anymore, right? It, it's true. I have a lot of thoughts on older drivers, but we'll get to those in a second.
0: You know, one place in Japan, they think they found the answer to this problem. Noodles. Yep. Noodles. Follow along with me on this one, Joseph. The offer comes down to a simple trade. Give back your driver's license in exchange for a senior citizen's discount of only 10% at a ramen noodle chain restaurant. Are you in? I, you'd have to consider it, right? <laughs> 10% seems kind of low to me. Uh, I'm thinking 75% plus every 10th bowl of noodles is free. That, may, that yeah, that that works for me. That's a better trade-off. In other parts of Japan, they are offering up older drivers who give up their license, a 50% discount on buses and rail tickets, and a 10% discount on taxis. There's no noodle discount in that deal, uh, which might be a deal-breaker for some. It would be a deal-breaker for me. I mean, you would have to have... Noodles and transportation, right? Agreed. Completely agreed. So authorities in that part of Japan are making this offer, and they're hoping to cut down on the number of traffic incidents involving older drivers, which have been steadily increasing in Japan. One news story there reported that many times when older drivers, when they get into a crash, afterward they say they were confused between which one was the gas pedal and which one was the brake pedal, and that was the cause of the crash. Even more scary is that some of the older drivers... They told police that they didn't even remember getting in a crash in the first place or even driving. And that indicates that dementia or even Alzheimer's, whether it's early onset Alzheimer's or full on Alzheimer's, could be the problem there. Japan passed a law last year mandating that drivers who are older than 75 take a special test that looks at dementia as a condition for renewing their driver's license. There were many times when I was in the car with both my grandfather and my grandmother... Uh, before they passed, when I was frightened we were going to cr- get into a disastrous crash. There was some really scary moments there. Eventually, my grandfather uh, was not allowed to drive because of dementia when he got to a certain point, And my grandmother was just too frail to keep driving her little Ford Escort around town when she was driving. It, she loved that little Ford Escort when she reached about 80 or so.
1: My grandfather is still kicking and still driving his truck around the state of Tennessee. He turns 90 this year. And I still ask my mother from time to time, how is he pulling this off? Because that seems far too old to drive. Anecdotally, I mean, in the business that we work in, one of the big things, anytime a car drives into a building, we're going to be there to cover it. And I would say eight to nine out of ten times, the person who drove the car into the building was an elderly driver, exactly as you said, forgot which one was the gas pedal and which one was the brake and hit the wrong pedal.
0: And obviously, as you age, your reaction time gets slower. Your decision-making is slower, and you're driving a vehicle at a pretty good rate of speed. Even if you're going 35, 40 miles an hour on some of the side roads, Mm -hmm. you're still traveling a pretty good distance. Uh, And you have to make these decisions fairly quickly if changes occur while you're driving. Somebody might pull out in front of you. There might be a bicyclist or whatever the case may be. And and if you don't have that quick reaction time, then then bad things could happen. Well,
1: and the memory loss is a really scary thing, too. It was something that I wouldn't have even put in context of drivers, but you just think of how many pe- how many older people wander outside of the home and go missing and just forget where they were or forget what city they're living in right now. It's really scary stuff.
0: There are some specific requirements for elderly drivers in Colorado. Drivers over 60, they have to renew their license every five years rather than every 10 years. Drivers, if you're 66 and older cannot renew their license online, and they also have to have a vision test as well. Well, that makes sense. And get this, the Colorado DMV, they actually will accept written reports about potentially unsafe drivers from law enforcement, from the courts, from physicians, or even close relatives that, let's say, you don't think your grandfather uh, should be driving anymore, maybe you don't think your father should be driving anymore, and you can go to the court, petition the court, to have this uh, injunction put on that person To not be able to drive. Well, then that driver has the opportunity to take a written test or a road test to keep their license active. If they fail, they lose their license. If they pass, they keep it. Uh, Better than, well, maybe the Hunger Games might be a more fun way to handle this,
1: right? You would think. That's (laughs) tough. It would be tough to write that letter about your dad, right? Like, I mean, I'm thinking my dad's getting up towards that age where it's like if something was really wrong, I guess somebody has to step in and who better than a relative. But I could see that causing a lot of problems at the Thanksgiving dinner table.
0: And the DMV could also put then some special restrictions. So let's say they're allowed to drive, Okay. But you might have some then restrictions placed on your license. Like uh, so. there are some people like if you, like you, Joseph, wear glasses, and I'm sure on your license, it would say that you need the vision correction at all times, right? Right. So they include no freeway driving. That's a possibility. Or having some special side mirrors or extra mirrors attached to the car. Uh, maybe no nighttime driving or having some specific time of day restrictions. For example, you wouldn't be allowed to drive during rush hour on the freeways. Uh, and so that might. Make it a little bit better so that that elderly driver who could maybe manage at nine or ten o'clock in the morning to get over to the drugstore, or go to the grocery store, and then back home if it's not too far, they could still manage to do that.
1: But I think, as with anything else, you're not going to, that driver is not going to find themselves in the back of a cruiser. Or even pulled over unless they cause an accident to begin with, correct I mean right. that, that right, no right. rush hour driving restriction isn't going to come into play unless the elderly driver gets caught driving during rush hour because of a crash or something like that. Uh, long story short, I, I mean, the problem is going to be the elderly people who don't accept that they have limitations
0: well it 's the point. same thing as if i let's say I had my license revoked well. Uh, The same thing. I could go driving. Anybody can go driving without the driver's license. It's only a problem if you get caught.
1: The number of people who drive after their licenses are suspended is staggering. And, the, and a lot of them get away with it for an extended period of time, and the excuse is always the same. Well, I need the car to get to work. I need the car to get from point A to point B. That's the point of having the license taken away is that you have to find other ways to get from point A to point B.
0: And it's usually because of a DUI or other serious offenses, My uh, a relative of mine. I won't name her here, but uh, she... uh, She knows who she she is. Yeah, she knows who (laughs) she is. And she, when she was first driving, got a bunch of tickets, like big-time fines and big points on her license. Within a very short, like within six months, she racked up the 12 points, I think it's 12 points, to uh, get your license suspended. Okay. And so she was not supposed to drive at all. Now, of course she did, but... Still, it, it's it, it could be that situation too.
1: Well, and in a big state like Colorado, and especially in a metro area like Denver's, you're more likely to get away with it. Where I come from, my small little town of two thousand people, they knew every single person who had their license suspended. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it was a different story to have to deal with it there. I think here, I, a lot of people, these elderly driver laws are, are more like suggestions. They're really difficult to enforce on a uniform basis.
0: Yeah, we're not in Mayberry anymore here, Joseph. No, no,
1: sir. Uh, You know, some states do have
0: stricter laws regarding elderly drivers and others are more lenient depending on where you are in the country. So AAA actually has some resources as well as each state's DMV that I was checking uh, online. So you could check with them for your specific area if you're listening to this podcast in different parts of the country. Well, then obviously check with AAA. AAA has a good uh, resource, but also your state's DMV will give you the other uh, information of the laws that are in your neck of the woods as Al Roker would say right (laughs) am I allowed to say that because we're an ABC station we're
1: gonna have to cut that okay
0: This is maybe a good time to take a breather, listen to some promos about our wonderful morning news program uh, here that I'm a part of every weekday morning on Denver 7. You know, if you're listening to this and you do live outside of Colorado, you have an internet connection, you can watch us online by clicking the live link on our main website. It's called thedenverchannel.com. You can also see it on your phone if, you listen, if you're listening to the podcast on your phone. Uh, I think it's really a great show, so you should give us a try, even if you're living out of state. Just give us a try. Take a look. It's it's actually quite entertaining. Uh, coming up, we will answer the question, why aren't there any crossing guard arms in downtown Denver where the light rail crosses the streets? That was an interesting question, and it came with some interesting comments to our Facebook page. That and more as the Driving You Crazy podcast continues.
1: If it's driving you crazy, it is driving us crazy. The mailbag is next on the Driving You Crazy podcast.
0: Why should you watch Denver 7? Simple. Best team in town. Jason Luber. Knows traffic better than anyone. I'm just a cool reporter. Lisa. She knows what's up. Mitch. I call him Superman. Dale. Gorgeous. Awesome. I'm a cool reporter. Jason Granauer knows what's up. Uh, Amanda Del Castillo. I mean, we're just a great team. And we're like family. And that I think that helps with the dynamics. So uh, you got to watch us every day. Now, if I wasn't on the team, I would watch Denver 7 for the Jason-Lisa
1: Bickering that they do every every morning, they're like brother sister. I love it. It adds to the dynamic. We're just a great team, and it's people need to watch. Eric Lufer, only on Denver Seven. The hardest thing about getting up is the fact that most of us have only slept about four hours, maybe, uh, the night before. So on any given morning, you know, you just never know what could possibly come out of our mouths in the morning. Uh, What's going to happen? That's why you got to watch. We're tired, um, but uh, but we're up and ready to go, and uh, we like to help you get up as well. Nicole Brady, only on Denver 7.
0: I'm Jason Grenauer, and you're listening to the Driving You Crazy Podcast with Jason Luber. Welcome back to the Driving You Crazy Podcast. I'm Denver 7 traffic anchor, Jason Luber.
1: And I am Joseph Peters, and you can find... Both of us on our Facebook pages, I'm just Joseph Peters, he's Jason Luber Traffic Guy. We are both on Twitter, he's Denver Seven Traffic, I'm Joseph Denver Seven, and you can also email us with your questions, concerns, whatever's driving you crazy. That is driving you crazy podcast at gmail.com. Now, from the mailbag today, we do have this letter. Roger from Denver writes in, Why is RTD not required to put railway crossing guard gates on the streets in downtown Denver where the trains cross over like the larger railroads do? I was downtown following traffic next to the Performing Arts Center and turned the corner and the cars in front of me stopped at a stoplight. I just happened to be on the light rail tracks with a car behind me, so I was stuck and a light rail train coming out of the tunnel was blaring its horn and hitting its brakes. I could see the conductor's face. It's a good thing the light changed and I was able to move before the train got there, otherwise he would have hit me. I think the crossing gates that close the road just before the train gets there would solve this problem.
0: Well, I took that question to the guy who has worked uh, for RTD longer than anyone else I know. I've known him for a long time. It's, his name is Scott Reed, and Scott is the Assistant General Manager of Communications for RTD. And he told me the decision back, way back when to not install the crossing gates when the light rail was first built in downtown Denver was because it would be more complicated to have those crossing gates in a congested area where pedestrians and vehicles and bikes are all intermingling. He said... The crossing gates are are used primarily in areas where there are fewer traffic signals and where uh, they directly intersect the streets or the roads where there are higher speeds than in the heart of the downtown area, like down across the A-Line or some of the other lines. Now, the other problem with the crossing arms in downtown Denver are the space constraints because there's not enough space between where the light rail is and the roads, Scott told me the width of the intersection and the complex traffic movements involving cars and buses and the trains and pedestrians and the bicyclists all moving together at the same time in that downtown area is what makes the installation of the crossing gates very problematic. Now, there are crossing gate arms along other parts of the light rail system and the commuter rail system, like the A-Line is commuter rail, and that is designed to go very, very fast, out to the airport. Those trains are going much faster outside of downtown Denver because they can, because there's more space to do that. And a collision with a vehicle at those speeds would be devastating to not only the train and the people in the train, but also the, the vehicle that it might hit or be hit by. So that's one of the reasons there are the crossing gates outside of downtown rather than inside downtown. Now, here's some background about the Denver light rail system. The central corridor section of light rail... It opened back in 1994. It runs through downtown Denver along the surface streets where the cars and people all cross the tracks without crossing gates and you can just go stand right there on the on the tracks. I mean there's no restriction, there's no fence or anything along the tracks even. Now back then, Denver was a much smaller city with fewer drivers on the downtown streets. There were fewer people riding bikes around downtown and because the trains were so new, I think people were paying attention to the trains more, and it seemed to be generally more cautious around the trains just because it was a, a new thing. It was the, the the new shiny object, so you were paying attention to it more. Well, times have changed, and people are in a hurry now, and they're distracted by their phones or by whatever, and th- they, uh, they aren't just paying attention like they used to in, in the good old days. Now, I did some very light reading this week, Joseph, I went through all the monthly accident report summaries that are prepared by the Colorado Public Utilities Commission using data provided by RTD from January 2014 through September of 2016. That's the recent one you can go through. Now, the PUC is the primary state agency responsible for all the safety, at all the public highway rail crossings in Colorado, including light rail, commuter rail, heavy rail, freight rail, all of it. Most of the crashes involving vehicles and trains occurred in two places. This is light rail and um, vehicles in downtown Denver. Now, most of them were along Welton Street on the north side of downtown, between 20th Street and 30th Street. And the other bad spot is just on the north side of the convention center near 14th and Stout. And a lot of that is because of where people were parking. or coming in and out of a parking garage over there. And there used to be a ton of problems next to the Auraria campus near Colfax and Kalamath. But in the reports, RTD credits numerous changes in additions to the signal warning signs and traffic lights over there, as well as making some changes to the actual crossings near the Auraria campus. So that helped reduce the number of incidents from 13 in 2014 to zero in 2016, which is a dramatic decrease of, of problems. Now, I mentioned a minute ago that the area where accidents between trains and vehicles typically occur in the current RTD system is along Welton Street on the north side of downtown. Now, since January of 2014, so in the last three years, there have been 37 incidents between vehicles and light rail trains along there. Some are serious, some not so serious. And that section is unique because there's a dozen or so crossings as drivers turn to or from Welton from all the cross streets up there, there's about a dozen of those crossings that they could get hit by. That's one of the reasons it's so problematic up there. Now, staff from the PUC, as well as the RTD safety staff, they said in one of the reports that they are con- going to continue to monitor in the Welton Corridor with the intent of identifying accident trends, causal factors, <laughs> trends, and possible mitigation measures for the crossing along Welton Street. In other words, they don't seem to have much of a plan to reduce the number of collisions yet. Yikes. Uh, They never even indicated in any of the reports that they're actually working on a solution to the problem. And it might be a situation where the problem might be fixed, at least in that part of the light rail system, by installing the crossing guard arms. But, you know, what costs money probably won't happen with the RTD system. So you can probably count that out as one of the solutions because it would cost, I'm sure, millions of dollars to put those up. Dr. Pam Fishhopper, she's the chief of the PUC's rail and transit safety section, and she said it's up to drivers to pay attention. Duh. She says people approaching an at-grade rail crossing in a vehicle or on foot should always expect a train at any time on any track from any directions. Pretty sound advice. Back to the original question where the guy was stuck on the tracks for a few moments because traffic was stopped, so he was stuck on the tracks with the train bearing down on him. The PUC says it's both unsafe and illegal in Colorado to stop or allow yourself to become trapped on any railroad track, whether in a vehicle or on foot. So they're basically saying it's the driver's fault. At that crossing it's Stout and Spear, Scott Reed from RTD told me that that intersection there is clearly marked. It's properly signaled. He said they understand that sometimes drivers encroach on that intersection which is why the train operators, he says, are careful approaching those areas. They don't use their horns often, but they can if they need to alert the drivers. So, again, the bottom line there from RTD is it was the driver's fault. It's up to the drivers to watch out for the train and not stop on the tracks. That seems pretty obvious to me. A, a train can only drive on the tracks. There's nowhere it can't just roll. On. And if it does, it's, that's a bigger problem. The tracks don't move. They're, or they're always in the same place. And they and they never change. It's true. So, So drivers in the cars apparently need to be more alert. I guess it's simple as that, right?
1: Uh, It is as simple as that and a lot of people on our social media agreed with you 100%. Here's a couple of comments from our Twitter from right after you sent this story out. From Fight Possum, they want to know why don't drivers pay attention. From Sodium Overload, their suggestion, don't be a moron and cross the tracks when there's a train coming. That's
0: sound advice, okay.
1: Um, From Larry Turner, one question should be why doesn't light rail go with traffic instead of against it in downtown?
0: Uh, My gut is that the trains are probably easier to see when they go against traffic it's like when you walk against traffic you're supposed to be able to see the cars better than in when you're on your bike you're supposed to ride with traffic because it flows with you i don't know but uh, i'm sure that look there's still be crashes either way no matter which way you, the cars and the trains are going
1: together it's absolutely true. I, I mean, it, people just need to pay attention. Uh, one person on our Facebook page, Ruben Sains, says, It seems to work in other cities. The problem is that drivers are too testy here. They seem to think they have all the rights as a car. This is the outcome when traffic laws are not followed. And then we had one from Brian Brunet who says, Life is full of whys. Like, why are you still alive if you're dumb enough to stop on railroad tracks? Okay. Yeah, I guess so. Hey, yeah. cut right Even to you know,
0: the point. I love, actually, I have a love affair with trains and freight trains specifically, I had this big-time desire when I was in college. I had it all planned out. I wanted to ride a freight train from Statesboro, Georgia, where I went to school at Georgia Southern, all the way up to Atlanta or maybe even farther north. Okay. I, I couldn't find a ride back home, which was going to be a problem because I had no money. Uh, but, and I could really never get the courage to, to, to do it, to jump on the I had read a lot about it. I actually bought this railroad map. It had because okay. this was before the internet, right? And so this is a map of all the railroad tracks throughout the country, and I had that ready to go, so I would know where I, where I could go.
1: It, it was probably the safer move, right, not to do it. I I mean. No, no, you you made the right decision. I still it think right. it would have
0: been a gas. I've seen videos, uh, recent videos on from uh, YouTube, people on YouTube who do this, and they go and they jump the trains, and then they're going, and it's just unbelievable video. It's really cool. It's
1: just the rush of jumping the train itself. Yeah, right? that's right. worth it all by itself.
0: But and there's some risky maneuvers. I've seen these people do some risky maneuvers. I, you know, I wish I had an alternate me that could go do <laughs> these things. And then there would be the regular me that would do so I could have a, a parallel universe,
1: if you will. It's, it is clear what I will be doing this weekend.
0: You're so. going <laughs> to go jump some trains, I'll aren't you? I'll be the one jumping
1: the train. All right, perfect.
0: Well, thanks again for listening to this uh, sixth episode of the Driving You Crazy podcast. We appreciate all the support and all the downloads. Appreciate that very much. Until then, until the next time, episode seven, I'm Jason Luber, the traffic guy. I'm Joseph Peters, the overnight producer. Be safe, and as always, Happy motoring.
1: Thanks for listening to the Driving You Crazy podcast.